0: This episode is brought to you by The Hartford, a leading provider of employee benefits and income protection products that is dedicated to standing behind U.S. workers to help them pursue their goals and get through tough times. For more information about The Hartford, visit thehartford.com slash employee benefits. We've also got a link in our show notes. I'm Nora McNERNEY, and this is Terrible Thanks for Asking. And today's episode is a bit of a mystery. Now, today's guest is a child of the 90s, much like me, much like many listeners of this podcast. But if you were of any age in the 90s, you might remember a little TV show called Unsolved Mysteries. Now, I have no idea how I was allowed to watch this. I was not allowed to watch it. I guarantee you I was not allowed to watch most things. This was definitely not a TV show meant for kids, but nearly every millennial I know remembers watching this show and being scarred for life, (laughs) staying up in bed, just shivering, shaking because the mysteries were always, obviously, it's right in the title, they were unsolved. And episodes ended with zero resolution. And sometimes one of those, if you have any information as to the whereabouts of so-and-so, call this number, which felt frightening. Like, where was so-and-so? Is he under my bed? The only thing scarier than watching Unsolved Mysteries would have been living in one. Growing up, Olivia, again a child of the 90s, she didn't know her world would eventually turn into a real-life, unsolved mystery. Olivia was just a kid, enjoying any time she could spend with her dad, Albert. Olivia's parents divorced when she was two, so Olivia only saw her dad on holidays and every other
1: weekend. He lived in his mother's basement, which I just thought it was so cool. He had this whole basement to himself. He had a waterbed. He had one of those... VCR rewinders that rewinds the tape. I think it was shaped like a Corvette. You know, we would watch the Three Stooges together and he did the impressions. He did a really great Yogi Bear. After learning about Robin Williams, when that happened a few years ago, it sort of contextualizes that idea of the exuberant, joyful personality who also has a lot of stuff going on under the surface. But as a kid, I mostly just got all of that really fun dad stuff.
0: And weekends with dad are just very different from regular life with mom.
1: So my mom moved into a full house. She had a baby grand piano in there. Her parents loved opera and I grew up loving opera through that and through my mom. When I would occasionally go to the hospital where she was doing her residency, we would listen to the Barber of Seville on the drive up and you know, we would go to New York to see performances at the Met and at New York City Opera. And my dad had the Cruising Classics cassette tapes that Shell Gas Station sold and Dr. Demento. Like, my strongest memory is, like, being in his Chevy pickup truck with him listening to the Dr. Demento Radio Hour cassette tapes. So it really was this kind of odd balance of I hate to say highbrow, lowbrow, but that's, you know, kind of what it was. And I remember, like, he was my first computer experience. He bought a Packard Bell computer, and we played the MS-DOS Carmen Sandiego together. Or, like, he would open up paint and show me how to do the squiggly thing with the pencil, and then you fill in all of, like, the full-sized objects with the paint bucket, different colors.
0: Yes. uh, uh a simpler time. Yes. So satisfying.
1: Oh, so good.
0: The summer before Olivia turned seven, her dad tells her that he's been offered a job out of state, way out of state. The job is in Atlanta, and Olivia and her mom live in the New England area.
1: And he asked me if he should take the job, and my immediate response was no. And I don't think I actually had an idea of what he did as a job That seemed like such an abstract thing to me, Dad, having a job. And I was like, why would you go to Atlanta? And on the heels of my no, he said, well, we can go to Disney World. And I immediately said yes.
0: Most of us would have seriously considered selling our fathers at the mere suggestion of a trip to Disney World at that age. I would have signed on any dotted line. So Olivia says, yeah, (laughs) yeah, go. And Dad leaves town. And a few weeks later, little Olivia is starting second grade, and she can't wait to tell her dad about it.
1: The bus driver had like given each of us like a couple of small hard candies for the first day of school, and I saved those, and I wrote a letter to my dad that afternoon after school to tell him about my first day, and I put the candies in there. My mom had an address for him in Atlanta. I think he may have just been planning on staying either at a hotel or with friends for the first while there. And maybe a month later, the letter came back to me with address unknown. And that was the last time I thought about my dad for a very long time.
0: Olivia doesn't remember feeling disappointed or angry. She doesn't remember feeling much of anything. Dad just vanished. He didn't call, he didn't write. This was way before emails were a thing, so she didn't get any of those either. And her mom's family didn't seem surprised or upset by her dad's disappearance.
1: I think maybe I was confused or maybe a little frustrated with the mail system, which honestly was just setting me up for a lifetime of heartbreak. But my mother was remarrying at the time. I was having my seventh birthday at Chuck E. Cheese at the end of the month, uh, I think to me, his leaving was just completely normalized. And, you know, when I was a kid, when I was like learning to talk, my mom's brothers who were both physicists would teach me to say things like, what does grandma do? Teacher. What does mommy do? Doctor. What does daddy do? Deadbeat. And, you know, my dad did have a sort of checkered career history of job hopping and quitting jobs. And, you know, he worked in bars for a lot of the time that I think he was married to my mom. And so it's also just like those are easy jobs to pick up and discard. But I think it's that sort of, you know, dad went out for a pack of cigarettes and never came back. And that was never explicitly put to me that way. But I think it was just the kind of combination of events you know my mom remarrying to not a great guy but like it just kind of I think replaced quote-unquote dad in my world for that time and having that sort of normalization in that era of dads don't stick around it kind of felt very unremarkable to me after after a while As a teenager, one of the songs that spoke really deeply to me was Father of Mine by I think Everclear.
0: Father of Mine Tell me where have you been?
1: You know I just close my eyes. My whole world is up here.
0: Olivia of is mine. in middle school when her mom gets the internet at their house. Olivia gets access to AOL and the 90s search engines that we all knew and loved. Got a problem?
1: Need help with anything? Ask Jeeves. I kind of realized you could search people's names as well as hamsterdance.com. And I looked up my dad's name, not really knowing what would come up. And I just knew my dad as Al. And I looked that up and I found a ton of pages with his name on it. And I... Found the email on one of the pages. It was like a lot of computer game walkthroughs and recaps. And I reached out to the email and I kind of said, hey, I don't know who reads this email, but I'm pretty sure that Al Giavetti is my dad and I'd like him to know that he has a daughter that he forgot about and that I'm still here.
0: The Al on the other end of that email is not her dad. But it is her dad's cousin, who is conveniently and confusingly also named Al. Al as in Alfred, not Albert. Just before Olivia starts high school, she receives some unexpected mail.
1: One afternoon in August, I went out to get the mail. I was barefoot, like just walking on the grass. And uh, my mom was just coming home from grocery shopping or mowing the lawn. And I open the mail, and I see this manila envelope addressed to me, and it was from my dad's mom, who I had seen, you know, a couple of times. And I opened the envelope, and all that was in it was a photocopy of my dad's suicide note and a copy of his will and his baby ring.
0: There was no preamble, no warning that this envelope was going to be arriving in the mail. Olivia will later learn that her dad left the original suicide note on a yellow pad of legal paper in a days inn outside of Boston, close to Revere Beach. His truck was later found at a nearby public transit station. And all of this happened ages ago, just after Olivia's dad left for that new job in Atlanta. So Olivia doesn't just learn that her father is dead. She learns that he's been dead for seven years. Years.
1: I was standing there and I had that moment almost of that camera doing the zoom in while also panning out. So it creates this almost like vertigo effect where it just feels like everything is going whoosh onto like me standing there on the grass in suburban Rhode Island. And I said to my mom, hey, you know, come look at this. My dad killed himself. And she said, No, that's absurd. And it sucks that this is the moment that I got to be unquestionably right with my mother. (laughs) But I shoved the packet into her hands and I was just like, Look, and she read the note and she kind of glanced at everything else and she just said, Huh, okay, well, I guess now we know where he's been all this time. And she either went back to mowing the lawn or unloading the groceries and like, oh, okay, so this isn't the big you know, movie uh, climax moment where everything becomes different. It's just like, okay, so I guess I'll just go back into the house now.
0: Olivia's mom doesn't seem upset when she hears this news from her daughter. And she doesn't seem surprised either. Because this news isn't really news at all. Her mom has known about her ex-husband's suicide since right after it happened seven years ago.
1: His mother was first called because she was the person he was living with and her information was attached to his. But my mother learned shortly after that as well. So she was the one that did the legwork to have him declared dead in absentia so that I could start to get the Social Security benefits for him.
0: Under Massachusetts law, a person can be presumed dead if nobody's heard from them for five straight years, provided there's been a, quote, diligent search and inquiry. Social Security won't declare a missing person dead until seven years have passed. It's called death in absentia. It's a declaration for people like Amelia Earhart, Jimmy Hoffa, Tom Hanks' character in Castaway. There's no hard proof that a person isn't living anymore. But the chances are good that they're dead, and the law says it's okay to give their beneficiaries their social security. Olivia is 14 years old when she learns that her dad, the fun guy she assumed just hadn't reached out for seven years despite that unfulfilled promise to go to Disney World, is dead. He's been dead this whole time. And Olivia isn't really sure what she's supposed to do next.
1: I called his mother, I remember which was long distance at the time. So I remember having to like ask permission to call her. And my mom was like, okay, I guess just, you know, don't stay on the phone too long. And like she left no cover letter with it because she was the one that sent it to me. Her address was on the return address thing. And she just hadn't really put anything else in there. And I called her and she said, you know, I wanted you to have his baby ring. In the note, it said that he was tired of people telling him what to do, tired of trying to do things and failing and disappointing people and that he just wanted the pain to stop. And for the longest time, I equated that with me. Uh, You know, in the absence of any other narrative from anyone else, I thought, okay, Atlanta was a code. Like that was the sort of him not wanting to deal with people telling him what to do, I somehow just conflated that with the idea of him not wanting to have the responsibility of being a parent and being a parent to me.
0: There's never a good time to learn that your dad died by suicide. But Olivia is just a few weeks away from starting high school. And for her, learning that her dad is gone makes this big life transition even worse.
1: It was um, first day of high school, and I got to my, like, little building for the freshmen. There was a circle of girls that I had been friendly with in uh, middle school. Not, like, best friends, but, you know, movie friends. And I was kind of having a hard time getting into the group, and I realized, oh, I'm not part of this group anymore. And one girl turned to me and said, smiling, like, I just decided I'm not going to speak to you this year. And I was like, okay, um, well, cool. And I just kind of tried to keep in the circle because it's high school and it's just, you know, that survival instinct, I think. But there was a point of break in the conversation. And I just like kind of blurted it out where I was like, I found out the summer that my dad killed himself seven years ago. And the same girl looks at me and she goes, oh, we already knew that. And I was like, wait, what? At the time, I thought she was just saying it because she was being mean. And now I think it's the same thing of just, you know, the things that we say to each other as teenage girls are just completely senseless uh, and cruel. But there was kind of that middle point of like, wait, I'm putting on the tin foil hat and is this all a conspiracy theory? Did everybody know about this? It felt like those WB shows where... That news drops, and then it's like, okay, cut to commercial. And like, everyone is on their seat, just waiting for the follow up. And just basically after that was like, okay, we're just going to do commercials now. We're never going to get back to this like second act of Buffy the Vampire Slayer.
0: We'll be right back. When I'm looking at the next 12 months of my life, what I do not have on the books and what is impossible for me to have on the books is a trip to Sicily. However, the next best thing to having my own adventure in Sicily was reading Joe Piazza's new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. It is a vacation in a book. If your vacations were uh, uh, sexy murder mysteries that also dive deep into generational trauma, but not in too heavy of a way, it is the perfect book to take on a plane It is the perfect book to read next to your public pool while taking breaks to yell at your kids. It is the perfect book to get you out of a reading slump, and it is available now wherever you get books. Olivia finds herself subconsciously turning to theater and movies and TV to help her process her dad's death. She's drawn to stories about suicide, and it doesn't matter if they're fiction or biography or true crime.
1: I was always a theater kid, and I, in my freshman year of high school, went to see one of those matinees I did for students, but a professional theater company doing Othello by Shakespeare. And, you know, it ends with Othello killing Desdemona. But after he kills Desdemona, he kills himself. And I remember watching that scene and just feeling on fire. Every hair on the back of my neck was standing up. And I realized I really wanted to live in that moment of Othello's suicide. And a few weeks later, we watched the Zeffirelli, Romeo and Juliet in English class after reading the play. And the same thing happened, like that same moment of just this full-on chill uh, and at the same time just feeling like I was going to spontaneously combust. I was on a rent message board or an e-group for rent heads in like 1999 and there's probably still fanfic somewhere out there that I wrote and it was all like you know this character dying and that character killing themselves and like I think the summer after learning my dad died, I watched like Dead Poet Society for the first time, and oh boy, I just kept rewinding that last twenty minutes over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, like that scene in Dead Poet Society where Robin Williams is sitting at Neil's desk and he takes out the book that he had given him, and he just breaks down. Like that is just. I could probably draw that scene from memory just for having watched it so many times. (sighs) But it was making me feel something. And I, I wasn't able to articulate what that was at the time. But I was still getting something out of it.
0: After graduation, Olivia says goodbye to the small town where she grew up and moves to New York City, where she studies playwriting at Fordham University Thanks to that Social Security she collected after her dad was declared dead in absentia, she's able to pay for less than a full year of tuition. And for Olivia, college is not the best four years of her life. It's a real
1: challenge. I was thinking, oh, I can easily move to New York. I I had lived in New York the summer before at a pre-college program. I was like, I can do this. This will be so easy. I'm going to win the Pulitzer Prize before I'm 30. And I was the only one taken in that year for the playwriting program. And, you know, I had an okay first year, uh, but I think also I did start to just struggle with that sort of burnout of not only being very good at my academics for the most part, but also Just not having an off switch, uh, which I think the more I know about my dad now is something I got from him. It wasn't really until 2003, 2004, and I was just kind of flailing with trying to make it all work, with trying to go to class, to get good grades, to also hold down a job. I moved out of the dorms after freshman year into an apartment because I just wanted to be on my own. Yeah, I just I massively crashed and burned. I remember thinking, you know what, I don't want to do playwriting. I took a semester off from school entirely and just kind of worked 10th jobs in New York. And, you know, the same sort of pattern that my dad Mm -hmm. lived out. And Mm -hmm. I could not deal with myself feeling like that, you know, thinking as I was doing that, oh, God, I'm going to be a deadbeat just like my dad. Mm -hmm. This is the end of everything.
0: Olivia knows the loss of her dad when she was a kid is affecting her now as an adult. But she still isn't ready to fully deal with that reality. Not yet.
1: It's like that last box when you move of just, I don't know what I threw in this box. I don't know if I need it. I don't feel like opening it. I don't feel like dealing with it. So I'm just going to put it in the closet until I realize in six months that I need some sort of cable that's in there. I was still really struggling a lot with that, but it was all very subsurface and I started getting panic attacks. I had a panic attack that sent me home from work one evening and my mother, who's a physician, I called her and she said, look, I'm going to put you on a prescription, but you need to go start seeing a therapist. And I just kind of picked at random from one of those, I think it was like the Psychology Today directory of like whoever was the cheapest that was like in my zip code and that therapist I think I only saw her twice or maybe three times and the first time I met her and talked with her she said well it sounds like you had a very traumatic childhood and I got so pissed at her I was like no my childhood was normal what are you talking about like don't you see me I'm normal I work for an opera company It took me, I I think, another five years or so before I found the therapist that I've now been seeing for over a decade.
0: During therapy, Olivia finally starts talking about her dad. Soon, she's identifying a trait that she and her father share. A pretty acute fear of failure.
1: You know, I had a couple of small professional crises. I got Fired from a job I liked for the first time. I had, you know, some other disagreement thing happen at another job. And I was feeling so panicked and anxious about it because, again, if I get fired, if I have to quit a job because something got irreparably damaged, that means I am the fuck up. I am the deadbeat. And I, first of all, just felt. A ton more empathy for my dad because i was mad at him for a long time and i know it's cliche to be mad at someone who dies by suicide but that's you know just what i was feeling because it's like dude nut up and be a dad
0: it takes time and it takes therapy but olivia decides she wants to open that last moving box and learn more about her dad she's not looking for an answer as to why he took his life she understands mental illness and knows there's never just one reason She just wants to know more about the man who used to make her life so fun.
1: I just wanted to know, what music did he listen to? I know what we listened to together, but I imagine he must have listened to other things. Or what did he do on the day of the first snow? Like, what was his favorite beer to drink? You know, all of these things that I just wanted to know those like little details because I had so few of them. I knew that he had a tattoo of the Roadrunner and a tattoo of Woody Woodpecker. And he liked to joke that he had two birds and a pecker. And I knew that he had like aviator sunglasses and that he smoked Marlboro Reds and all of his flannel shirts smelled like that. But I didn't know a lot more than that. And I was so craving that detail of information. I kind of stopped caring about what happened to him. And I just wanted to know who he was. And Mm -hmm. his cousin Al called me and we just kind of talked for about three hours And was just telling me a whole bunch of stuff, including this was the first time that I had heard he was married before your mom, which I think we're now up to four possible marriages that my dad has had, and there might be more. Uh, Oh, and also, by the way, I don't think he's really dead. Not everyone thinks he's dead.
0: Olivia has just had yet another bombshell dropped on her. Her dead dad might not be dead after all? Might have a secret
1: family or three? They still have not found a body for my dad. You know, there's a case in Massachusetts because that's where it happened, but then there's also a case in Nashua where he was residing, and that is still considered a cold case. And up until maybe 2009 or 2010, they were still, like, checking in regularly with my dad's younger sister and... They had found, I think in maybe 2008 or something, a body somewhere around Maryland, and they were doing like dental record checks for him. His mother died believing that he had still managed to fake his own death. Uh, when he disappeared, his truck was near the Wonderland Tea Station, and everything was in there except for about $3,000 in cash. And they said, it's possible he went to Logan Airport because that is right near this T-stop or a couple of stops away. And it's possible that he could have flown to Canada or the Bahamas, but we can't be certain.
0: And just like the day Olivia received that manila envelope in the mail, the first thing Olivia wants to know is, did her mom know about
1: any of this? I called my mother livid. And she was like, well, of course he was married before. That's why your grandparents are Catholic and you grew up Episcopalian, because I had to switch to the Episcopalian church so I could marry him. I'm like, none of this was explained to me. She knew that he had been married at least once before, but like I was talking with his sister last year and she mentioned his ex wife, and I said, Oh, so and so. And she was like, No, this name. And I was like, Wait, what? And then I was doing some, you know, internet sleuthing, and I found another marriage license that has his social security number on it. So I was like, Well, we found another one.
0: By now, Olivia is a working journalist and a champ at online investigations. So she keeps digging.
1: There are a few bits of him on the internet where, like, you know, you can find an article of him in his high school graduating class. And that's when I just started looking up other people. And, you know, more people were on Facebook in 2016 and started looking them up and saying, I think you went to school with my father. He died when I was seven. I'd like to know more about him. If you remember anything, can we talk? And a bunch of people got back to me and said, Al he would never have... Abandoned his daughter. He was so in love with being your dad. I don't think he died. You know, and I remember asking my mom about it, I think a few years before, if it's possible that he could have faked his own death. And she said he wasn't that smart.
0: Way to get that, get that dig in. Okay.
1: You know, (laughs) tell me your divorce was acrimonious without telling me your divorce was acrimonious. (laughs)
0: Remember, the only reason Olivia's dad was declared dead is because Olivia's mom had filed for that death in absentia designation so that Olivia could receive Social Security benefits. At one point, Olivia's aunt, her dad's sister, tells Olivia that her dad was really into the Internet in the early 90s. He was an early adopter, going digital way before the rest of us started unknowingly logging into creepy chat rooms. Al was even online dating in the early 90s. Did not know that was possible. So Olivia starts to think, maybe her dad did have the tech savvy to make himself disappear. And then, on Father's Day in 2016, Olivia has a breakthrough.
1: I found kind of through Facebook uh, and Googling that there was a restaurant in Helsinki, of all places, that was using the name Albert Giovetti kind of like the oh Albert Giovetti moved to Helsinki in nineteen whatever, and he just fell in love with the place and he created this, you know, wonderful tavern to give you a taste of, you know, old Sicily abundanza, you know, very like Godfather, <laughs> That's right,
0: Helsinki, the capital of Finland.
1: The picture that they used for, like, Papa Albert looked like my father's dad and, like, uncannily. And Giovanni is not a common last name in Italian. You know, my dad worked in restaurants. It's believed by at least some people that he could have gotten out of town. And if he, like, you know, over 20 years went from Boston to Canada, Who's to say he didn't get a new ID, a new passport and resettle in Helsinki? And who's to say, because my mother said he's not smart enough to fake his own death, that he wouldn't be dumb enough to use his own actual name in, you know, setting up this restaurant as his, you know, new life in Helsinki. And having that sort of like Greek chorus of his high school friends telling me, I don't think he would have done that. I think he's out there somewhere. Um, Who's to say that's not going to pan out?
0: Not Olivia. When there are so many people suggesting her dad could still be alive. And not when a Finnish restaurant bears his name as well as a picture that looks an awful lot like Olivia's grandpa.
1: For me as a writer, and for me as someone who has done a lot of reported journalism, it feels like, oh, this story is coming together. You know, you could set some track hurdles in front of me, and I probably would have broken a record or two at that point, just with that amount of energy. And I write to the restaurant and I, you know, just said, hey, you're a Giovanni, I'm a Giovanni, what's going on here? and nothing. That only made me more like, uh aha, your silence speaks volumes. I used to work at Time Out New York and I still had friends who worked there and I got one of them to send an email from their Time Out account saying, hey, we're just updating the Helsinki guidebook. Can you confirm a couple questions for us? Like, can we just set up a time to talk on the phone?
0: Maybe the management isn't responding because they're, you know, a restaurant busy doing restaurant things, but Olivia can't shake the feeling that there's something more to this. The possibility that her father might be alive and well and running a restaurant across the Atlantic Ocean becomes the thing that keeps her up at night. She can feel that there are answers out there, and she wants them.
1: My mind just kind of went to all of these places until it I finally just bought a ticket to go to Helsinki. When we get back,
0: we're going to Finland. When I'm looking at the next 12 months of my life, what I do not have on the books and what is impossible for me to have on the books is a trip to Sicily. However, the next best thing to having my own adventure in Sicily was reading Joe Piazza's new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. It is a vacation in a book. If your vacations were uh, uh, sexy murder mysteries that also dive deep into generational trauma, but not in too heavy of a way. It is the perfect book to take on a plane. It is the perfect book to read next to your public pool while taking breaks to yell at your kids. It is the perfect book to get you out of a reading slump, and it is available now wherever you get books. Olivia is on her way to Helsinki, Finland, where there's a Sicilian restaurant owned by a man who might be her dad, a man she first thought had abandoned her, then learned he had died by suicide, and then learned that he might not be dead and had actually faked his own death. It's a lot for Olivia to process. So she
1: boards the plane. And then... I realized it was World Mental Health Day because an article I had written about understanding my father's suicide had been published that day. I was like getting texts on my phone from friends saying, oh, my God, this is such a great piece. And I was like, what? And I checked it and I said, oh, oh, it's that day. Great. (sighs) Uh, The synchronicity is just it's just everywhere. Um, And it kind of in that very silly way made me feel like maybe this is worth something and maybe this is going to lead to something.
0: Olivia arrives in the evening and she plans to visit the restaurant first thing the next day.
1: I used to work in restaurants, so I know you do not go in during the lunch rush and you do not go in during the dinner rush. So I was like, if I'm doing this, I'm doing it right. And I walk in, I go up to the bar. I brought some of my old Time Out New York business cards with me just to, you know, again, kind of just trying to go in without spooking anyone. You know, it's like when you're walking in the woods and you try to like not disturb the deer. And Mm. I went up to the bar, I ordered a Coke and I said, is there a manager I can speak to? I work with timeout, see, here's my card. We're updating the Helsinki Guide, and I just wanted to ask a few questions about, you know, the history of the restaurant. And I've done those types of articles about restaurants. And it's one thing when you go into, like, a historic restaurant that's been open for 200 years or you go into, you know, a place that everyone is talking about. But this was a very sad cruise ship Italian buffet restaurant where it all just felt so clammy and the bartender was like oh um yeah there's not a manager here right now but if you want to ask some questions about the restaurant uh there's a shift manager who comes on at five and this is like 11 o'clock in the morning
0: this is unhelpful and the tinfoil hat part of olivia worries that she's getting the runaround She kills time by visiting local shops and sampling different makeup palettes and tools to give herself a little makeover because when she comes face-to-face with her dad, she wants to look like the strong woman she's become in his absence. She returns to the restaurant at 5 p.m. sharp. And this time, the manager is there. The man who could be her dad.
1: He was this very tall young Finnish guy with like super blonde hair, super blue eyes, just arms of tattoos and maybe about my age. And he was like, oh, I'm the shift manager. And I was like, awesome. Uh, You are not my dad. I said to the guy, I said to the manager, okay, I'm curious about the origin story of this place. You know, you mentioned that there's a man named Albert. Um, and he looked at me and he said, "I have to tell you, that whole thing is made up." And I was like, "What? What? Huh?" And he said, "Oh, it's just we're a hotel restaurant. We've been here for decades, but under different names. And when they rebranded this place as an Italian tavern type of deal, a marketing company came up with like this whole backstory for us to, you know make it seem like a family establishment. Wow. And I was like, okay, but wait a second. Where did you come up with this name? And we were on a street called Albertinatku, uh, which was named, I think, for a famous Finn, whose name was Albert. And I was like, okay, but what about Giovetti? Because that is not a common last name. And he's looking at me, and he's like, is your last name Giovetti? And I was like, yes. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, And he's like, oh, uh, so you're staying at the hotel? And I was like, no. Uh, And he was like, I don't know why they chose that name. I think they just kind of chose one randomly online. And he genuinely seemed he was not part of this like 25-year-old sinister cabal. Uh, I think he just was like telling me the truth or what he understood to be the truth. You know, I finally kind of dropped the facade with him because I, like, you know, had a picture of my dad on my phone. And I was like, look, this guy is probably 25 years older now. So you have to imagine wrinkles, gray hairs, all that stuff. Does anyone work here who looks like this man? And he's looking at me now, like, wait, what just happened? Because I thought you were a travel writer. And I kind of just told him the whole thing, but I was also trying to be really together. So I'm like, oh, well, you know, it's just your average story. My dad disappeared 25 years ago. He may have died. He may not have. Uh, And then I just found someone using his name here. So I figured I would just fly over and see what's going on. You know, totally normal though. Totally normal. This is not weird at all. But can you just tell me like, does this guy work here? Cause if so, I need to talk to him. (laughs) And he was so, you know, it's that face that people make. When you say, you know, my dad's dead, uh, or, you know, I've always believed my dad to be dead, but he may have faked his death. It's that, I <sighs> am yeah, uncomfortable about this, and I'm not even you.
0: <laughs> the manager feels bad for Olivia,
1: and so he offers her a free dinner on the house. Like, no, no, I don't. I don't, I don't want a consolation pizza. <laughs>
0: Olivia came all the way to Finland to find answers, and she got them. They just weren't the answer she wanted.
1: <sighs> right? And I was relieved, honestly, about that because I was very afraid of my dad actually being there, I think. Because, again, what do you say? And like, what happens if I actually figured this out? And in the build-up to going on that trip, I had read a lot of books about faking one's own death. There was one that came out around that time by someone who went through the whole process of getting herself declared legally dead just to see what it took to get there. And, you know, we don't have accurate statistics about how many people fake their own deaths because the ones who get away with it, get away with it. If I actually am breaking this story for myself, what then? Does he have to start a new life all over again?
0: Olivia leaves the restaurant and decides to visit a sauna. It's at the very tip of Helsinki.
1: The whole thing with saunas is that you go from hot to cold. And I was sitting in the heat box, and I just started talking to my dad in my head, kind of in the way of, what was I going to say to him? But, you know, the conversation that I was having with him was like, you know, him saying to me, well, what did you expect? You can't expect the finishing line. Ha ha ha. Dad pun. And, uh, you know, I just kind of. Went from that into just sort of having this conversation with him that maybe it was the one I wanted to have. Maybe it wasn't the one I wanted to actually have, but it was just kind of me being honest with him in that moment. And I was like in there for a while because I was really starting to feel woozy. And I walked out to the Gulf of Finland and some places have like just pools to go into, but this being on the water, you just jump into a body of water. And it was dark at that point. It was foggy. I also didn't have my glasses on. They were in my locker and I can't see a thing without them. And I just felt so lost in this weird wilderness of darkness and fog and this really murky water. I was I don't know if it was more the cold of the water that was disturbing to me or the idea that because I'm like diving into a natural body of water that's connected to the ocean, there might be, you know, Princess Bride. The shrieking eel scene really messed me up around eels for a very long time. And I kind of realized I am probably never going to know for sure whether my father is alive or dead. There would either have to be a body found or he would have to, you know, come out of the woodwork and actually present himself at my doorstep. I have come to accept that closure is a bit of a fallacy, especially around death. We've sort of co-opted this, uh, you know, the Kubler-Ross stages of grief, which were originally not even written for grieving, but for, you know, people accepting their own death. But we've kind of thought, oh, well... It's like Candyland. You go from, you know, anger to denial to bargaining to depression to acceptance, and that's it. And then you never think about it again. And I have really come to understand that it is a much more cyclical, spiraling thing where it's like pinball, where you're just hitting one emotion after the other, and it's not in order, and there's never really any terminus for it. And... Nothing is really going to change that for me. And that's okay, you know? Uh, And that's when I jumped into the water.
0: There are aspects of Olivia's dad that will always be a mystery to her. Questions that will never have answers. That uncertainty is not a great feeling to have, but it's also okay. Because in that moment, in that ice-cold water in Finland... Olivia feels something. It's not closure. It's a letting go.
1: We never had a funeral for my dad. He specified in his will, burial at sea, no service. I believe he is dead. I believe him to be dead. And so, I you know, two days before he died, uh, he changed his will to include that. And in his note, he had said, you know, if my body is recovered, please just put it back in the water. My husband is Jewish and I've converted to Judaism. And, you know, in Judaism, there's a yard site. We never did a yard site. In Judaism, you also sit shiva for a week. And I think that's one of my favorite things is having that, like, prolonged time. And, you know, I lost touch with most of my dad's family over time. No one ever really talked about him. So no one ever called me on his birthday or on his death anniversary. And so I just kind of had no tools for understanding what shape my grief should take. And it kind of becomes like leaving the Christmas tree up all year where, you know, someone comes over to your house in July and they're like, why do you still have a tree up? And it's like, wait, I didn't know that you're supposed to take your tree out after Thanksgiving, put it up, And then it, like, you know, gets put back or it goes to get mulched, you know, the first week of January. And so, like, my Christmas tree of grief just kind of, you know, the pine needles didn't ever get brown, so it just kind of stayed up for a while. I remember the day that I forgave my dad, um, which was around the time at like maybe six or seven months after I started investigating his life a bit more. I was training for a half marathon at the time and so I had gone for a run that morning and I was in the bathroom afterwards showering. I was listening to REM's The End of the World and it just hit me like, I forgive my dad for doing this. I'm okay with him having done this. And I hadn't been thinking about him that day. I hadn't been thinking about him while I was running. It just kind of came in out of nowhere and maybe it was the lyrics to that song, just, you know, kind of that sense of everything's falling apart, all good, I feel fine. And it wasn't acceptance, but it was just, it was forgiveness.
0: This has been Terrible, Thanks for Asking. I'm Nora McInerney. Our production team is Marcel Malikibu, Jacob Maldonado-Medina, and Jordan Turgeon. Our theme music is by Joffrey Lamar Wilson. Terrible, Thanks for Asking is a production of APM Studios at American Public Media. Executive producer and editor, Beth Perlman. Executives in charge, Lily Kim, Alex Schafer, Joanne Griffith.